Well, if you're not already open there, please do open your Bibles again to, to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. One of my favourite musicians, singer-songwriters is Bob Dylan. I don't know how you feel about Bob Dylan. I know it's not a conventional way of starting a sermon mentioning Bob Dylan. But one of my favourite songs that Dylan wrote many years ago is a song called Shelter from the Storm. Now, if you've never heard this song, you need to go home tonight and put it into Google or YouTube and sit and listen to Shelter from the Storm. Anyway, in one of the verses of the song, the character that Dylan depicts says the following words. He says, I was burned out from exhaustion. I was buried in the hail, poisoned in the bushes and blown out on the trail. Hunted like a crocodile, ravaged in the calm. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. Throughout the Bible, there are countless stories of individuals or groups of people who belong to God who are going through one kind of storm or another that they need to be sheltered from. For some of them, it's the storm of sickness. For some, it's the storm of wrestling with personal sin and sometimes being overcome by personal sin. You see that in Second Samuel 11, don't you? The King David and the, the Bathsheba incident. He's overcome by personal sin. For some of them, it's a storm of being tempted to give up on God and to give in to the lure of the world. That's something Christians experience. It's too hard, Lord. I can't keep going. And there's a temptation to give in to the, the world and all the things that it's offered because the, the gospel road just seems too difficult at times. For others in the Bible, it's a storm of persecution they face because they happen to belong to God and be following him. Like Dylan's character, many of the characters in the Bible are burned out, buried, blown out, hunted and ravished. Storms in the inside and storms on the outside. Now you see that not only when we read the Bible, but if you read church history, church history what you find is person after person been through one kind of storm or another. And what you find is it's usually the person that's most faithful. It's not the weak Christian that goes through the storm. It's usually the person that's sold out for Jesus. And the devil knows it. And he unleashes the gates of hell upon them and all sorts of storm blow in their direction. Nowhere in the Bible are we presented with that message that's, that's often an offer in some churches today that tells people that if they come to Jesus, then every storm cloud will disappear. And if we're Christians, we know that's not true. I sometimes wonder how anybody can preach that if they're a Christian, because we know that the Christian testimony doesn't add up with that. Being a Christian is hard. I'm sure some of us here this evening will be going through our own personal storm, something that nobody in the building might know about. Something you perhaps feel I can't share with anybody. Maybe it's a storm at home, a storm at work, a storm in the church. That happens often, doesn't it? Storms in the church. Again, you're not meant to say these kind of things, but let's be honest. Perhaps it's an emotional storm. Some of us might be going through a storm and we, we can't even explain what's causing it. We just know it's there. A particular issue that we wish would go away, be resolved or be healed. And until such time this happens, we find ourselves crying out to God for shelter from the storm. Well, in this passage we're looking at this evening, we meet a believer who is in the middle of a storm that they need God to deliver them from. 
And we pick up on this right away in the opening verse of Psalm 121. Have a look at it there. Where the psalmist asks a question. I'm sure every single one of us in here have asked at one time or another. That question, where does my help come from? So this is somebody who needs help. This is somebody who needs comfort and assurance. And what does that teach us about this psalm? Well, it teaches us that this is a psalm for us. Because if we're honest, we would admit that we're people who need help. We're people who need comfort and assurance as we walk with God through this fallen and broken world. But before we dive into some of the other details of Psalm 121, the first thing we learn about the psalm, and it's in the title, I mentioned this earlier, is it's a song of ascent. What does that mean? Well, I'm guessing most of us here know what that means, but for those who don't know, the songs of ascent are a, a group of psalms that range from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And what, would, what you would have with these psalms is pilgrims were making their way up to Jerusalem uh, to offer sacrifices at one of the annual Jewish feasts, to meet with other believers, to worship their God. And individually and collectively, these pilgrims would have sung these songs together. And in verse 1, it's lifting his eyes up to the hills while on his way to Jerusalem's temple. While he looks at the hills, it leads to this particular pilgrim asking that question, where does my help come from? Now, I don't know about you, but often when I've heard people preach or speak about Psalm 121, it's suggested that as the writer's looking to the hills, he's like somebody who's standing back and admiring creation. You ever heard that before, if you've heard that psalm <coughs> preached? It's almost like somebody standing at the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls, and they're overwhelmed by the awe and the beauty and the majesty that's before them. I've heard that several times about this particular psalm. It's somebody who's admiring creation. Several years back, I worked in West Cumbria, down in Whitehaven in the Church of England. And somebody down there described Psalm 121 as the West Cumbrian psalm. And I says to him, why is it the West Cumbrian psalm? And he says, because it speaks of the beauty of the hills surrounding this particular area. But they're kind of missing what the psalm's saying, if that's what they think. In Psalm 121, it's not the beauty of creation that's on the psalmist's mind as he looks to the hills. The hills are the problem. You see, the hills back then, as in the case in some countries today, was the place where wild animals would dwell. Along with this, hills was the place where robbers who were on the run might have been hiding. And try and picture yourself as this psalmist. He knows that there's robbers in those hills. And he's worried that such people might have already spotted him and guessed that as a pilgrim who's going up to offer his tithe at Jerusalem's temple, this is somebody that's got valuables on him, which means he's worth robbing. So the psalmist has all of that in mind, and he panics. So hills for the psalmist are a place of threat and danger. It's the hills that lead him to ask that question, where does my help come from? Who's going to help me? Who's going to keep me? Who can save me from this particular trial that I'm going through? As I mentioned earlier, that's something that I'm guessing every one of us in here have asked at one time in our lives or another. Who can help me? Perhaps some of us are going through something tonight and you're asking that. Who can help me with this storm? Well, if a great theologian was to answer that question, they would probably write a whole book with about 50 chapters. 
I love the simplicity of the Bible because in verse 2, we have the answer to that question, where does my help come from? And what we have in verse 2 is six simple words that answer that question. The Bible's much simpler than some of these theologians that get a hold of the Bible, isn't it? Six words answer the question, where does my help come from? The psalmist's six words is, my help comes from the Lord. Friends, do you know that's one of the easiest things for Christians to forget? If you're with me as a Christian, that's one of the easiest things to forget, that your help comes from the Lord. If you're with me, you'll go through storms, and what you'll do is you'll try and sort it out yourself, or you'll place your confidence and look for help in everything and in everyone except the Lord. I know you're not meant to say that in church. Again, we come through these doors and we're all super apostles who want each other to think that we're all trusting the Lord 100% in every aspect of life. But the reality is, we don't trust God as we should. That's why this particular psalm's here. If it was a case that we just all automatically trusted the Lord, Psalm 121 wouldn't be in our Bibles. So the psalmist knows what life we are. And he knows that we tend not to place our confidence and trust in the Lord. We tend to place our confidence and trust in people, possessions, maybe worldly power and prestige. The list goes on. But the psalmist is here saying to us, get back to basics. Your confidence, your help is in the Lord. Now, I don't know your greatest problem here this evening. This is one of the benefits of coming to a church that you're not familiar with everybody. You can look around and say to people and look into their eyes and say, I don't know what you're going through. So it's not the preacher trying to manipulate the situation. But I really don't know what people are going through here tonight. But your world could be falling apart. Something can be going on in your life and you're looking at it and you're thinking, I don't know how this can be resolved. It could be a family issue, a health issue. I don't know what your big problem is, and you don't know mine. But one thing I do know, the Lord, God Almighty, the God of all creation, the God that we meet in Scripture, is the answer to all our problems. There isn't a problem that's been brought into this building tonight that God cannot deal with. Now again, we know that as Christians, but how often do you forget that? I forget that every day. And that being the case, the psalmist was have us see that although it's foolish to ignore threats and trials and storms, he doesn't want us ignoring them and kidding on they're not there. But what the psalmist is want us to do here is not focus on the storms or threats or trials. The psalmist is saying that rather than look to the hills, the problem, the storm, he's saying look to the Lord, the remedy. The same Lord who, as we sung a moment ago in Psalm 46, is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Friends, in this world of uncertainty and danger, God is our only hope, our only help, and our only hiding place. And as I look at the state of this world, the way it seems to be going, when I meet people who are not Christians and are not trusting in the Lord, I wonder how they get by. Perhaps you're not a Christian here tonight. 
I don't know. Maybe we're all Christians, but I don't know. But if you're not a Christian, how do you get by? I wouldn't want to leave my bed in the morning if I didn't have some kind of trust in God that he is in control or some kind of knowledge that God is sovereign over everything that's going on. I honestly don't know how people get by without doing what the psalmist is telling us to do here, to look to the Lord. In Psalm 121, we're given two reasons why God alone should be trusted in times of trouble. There's two reasons we get here. Firstly, he is the God who has entered into a covenant relationship, covenant bond with his people. That is what we are to pick up whenever we see the word Lord uh, written as it is here in Psalm 121. Do you see all through the psalm, it's in capital letters. Whenever we see Lord written in capital letters in our Bibles, in the Old Testament, it's using God's name in a specific way. It's no thinking about God as Tom, Dick or Harry in the street thinks of God whenever they're faced with danger or trial. We've all met people who have no faith in God whatsoever, yet when difficulty arises, they say, God help me. Lord in capital letters isn't speaking about God in that general sense. Rather, it's speaking about God as the God of covenant. One who has bound himself to his people in blood. So the psalmist here is appealing with confidence, not to some distant deity, but the God that Bette Midler sings about in that song, who watches from a distance. I hate that song, the theology's terrible. She's obviously never read a Bible. He watches from a distance, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible gets his sleeves rolled up and gets in about it with his people. He's not out there watching from a distance. And that's what we have to pick up whenever we see Lord in capital letters. He is the covenant God. The psalmist is appealing to one who is as up close and personal as a father is to his child. When did we last think about God like that? I think most Christians, certainly most of the Christians I meet, and I go through this, we look at our Christian performance and it's all over the place. We think, I'm not doing too well. And we think we're displeasing God. Some of the times we might be displeasing him, but when we see Lord here, this covenant name, the psalmist is wanting us to see, no, as a God is up there with a checklist saying, well, they've not done well today. Yesterday was a bad day and my feelings towards them changed. Whenever we see Lord in this this way, the psalmist presents him. We have to see him as a father as to a child. That's something we struggle with. A God who has entered into covenant, almost marriage relationship, marriage terminology. That's how God knows us if we're Christians here tonight. That's the first reason we're given why God can be trusted in times of trouble. He is the God of covenant. The second reason the psalmist points to why the Lord can be trusted in times of trouble, and you'll see this in verse 2, as we're told here, not only is he the God of covenant, but he's also the God of creation. Unlike one of the dead idols that people back then would have worshipped in the hills, and that's one of the, the things that maybe have felt, made the psalmist feel threatened about the hills. People worshipped all sorts of false gods in the hills. But unlike one of these dead idols that people worshipped in the hills, the God the psalmist looks to here, the God of the Bible, is the God who made the hills. More than that, look at verse 2. We are told that this God we're dealing with, our God, is the maker of heaven and earth. 
But when I read that, it lets me see that it makes complete sense to trust the Lord. Because if he is the maker of heaven and earth, then logically there is nothing in heaven or on earth that is too great for him to deal with. There is nothing in the hills that can or would come against him. As maker of heaven and earth, the Lord is more than able to see any of his children on their journey, no matter how rough the terrain, no matter how great the threat. He is maker of heaven and earth. Friend, if you're a Christian here tonight, let me encourage you by reminding you, whatever life throws at you, whatever your storm is, the psalmist has shown us here that the Lord is bigger and greater than all of it. As maker of heaven and earth, he is sovereign over everything that goes on in heaven and earth. Over everything that's going on in you and my life tonight. Every detail. God is sovereign over it. One of the commentaries on this psalm says this. God is always in full detailed executive management of the world that he made. He leaves nothing to chance. And nothing falls outside his care and attention. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground, nor is there a hair on the head of his children that he doesn't know about or protect. He is God. Friends, is that no some context to set our problems within and our storms within? But our God is always in full, detailed, executive management of every aspect of our lives. Whatever happens, happens within his world, within his powerful working and under his powerful rule. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I need to pray, Lord, help me believe that daily. Because so often I take my eyes off that and I just think things are happening and things are randomly spinning out of control but the psalmist is saying here no he's the maker of heaven and earth that means everything that's going on in heaven and in earth has been governed by this God so then as we look not to the hills but to the God of the hills we can have the same confidence as the psalmist in Psalm 121 who in verse 3 is reminded and encouraged by a fellow pilgrim that though the terrain is tough so this pilgrim has perhaps heard the psalmist mentioned verses 1 and 2 and he responds in verse 3 by telling his brother or sister he will not let your foot slip. And I guess that's another way of saying that God will not let us slip beyond a point where he can reach out and restore us underneath of the everlasting arms. That is a great comfort to me. I don't know about you but to me that God will not let my foot slip. Because I've went through times in my Christian walk where I felt I was hanging on by my fingernails. You ever experienced that as a Christian? Again, we don't speak like this in church. We're conditioned not to. Where you think, I'm falling, Lord. I'm struggling. And you can even be worried that you're going to wander over there when you know God wants you over there. These are things that Christians experience. I don't know why we don't talk about them more in church. But the psalmist is saying here to such Christians that worry about that, this God will not let your foot slip. Perhaps somebody here tonight's struggling with sin. We struggle with sin. The Bible acknowledges that. And you think, oh Lord, am I slipping away? The psalmist is saying here, he will not let your foot slip beyond a point that he cannot reach out and restore you. 
The psalmist is also encouraged that though the journey may be dangerous, he who watches over you will not slumber. We're told in verses 3 and 4. In other words, God will not lower his guard or nod off while on duty. Now that's a word of comfort and assurance for those of us who might fear the night. I know some people who have told me when the minute their head hits the pillow, they struggle with all sorts of fears. The psalmist is reminding them here, he who watches over you doesn't slumber. The minute your head hits the pillow, the minute you close your eyes to sleep, God's loving and vigilant eyes always remain open. Isn't that a great comfort when we sleep at night? Here we are sleeping, and God's watching over us. I remember when my wee girl was just a wee baby and she was in her cot. She's sound asleep. Mums usually leave them, but dads are always sneaking in to make sure everything's all right. And I remember she'd be sleeping, and I would look over her. And I'd just stand there for five or ten minutes. And I used to say, into myself, but almost speaking to my children when they went through that, that age, I would say, you don't know how protected you are because there, was, there is nothing I would allow to happen to you just now. That's kind of what we get here with God. He who watches over you will not slumber. He is watching over us, just like the father is with his child. Looking on them lovingly, caringly. Again, when was the last time we thought about God in those terms? Verse 4 would have us see that these promises have been watched over. They're not only for individual people of God, but this is for all of God's people. That's what we should pick up when we read those words. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The psalmist is saying by mentioning Israel that God looks on and is concerned for the well-being of his whole church. The church is the true Israel of God. So this isn't just a few promises for individual Christians. This is for Israel, the whole church. So if, this, if we're all Christians here tonight, nobody is excluded from these promises in Psalm 121. To emphasise the point of God's protection in verse 5, the psalmist repeats what he's already said in verses 3 and 4, saying, The Lord watches over you. Why does he repeat that? Because he knows that we forget it. <laughs> That's why the Bible repeats itself quite a lot, because it knows that we forget these things the minute we close our Bibles. So he repeats it, The Lord watches over you. And, and let me encourage you with that tonight. Brother, sister, I don't know where you are spiritually. But if you love the Lord Jesus, God really is, he really is watching over your life. Not a thing is on that he has not ordained or oversees. So yesterday, God watched over you. Today, God is watching over you. For the whole of 2016, God will watch over you. Someone says, though a mother may fall asleep by the side of her sick child, God is never too exhausted, too weary, or too inattentive to watch over his people. That's the God I need. That's the God I want. At the close of the service, we'll sing a, a well-known hymn. I'm sure we've heard it before. It's by Timothy Dudley Smith, and it captures the protection that God's people enjoy. Let me just read a couple of 
verses of it, it says, Safe in the shadow of the Lord, beneath his hand and power, I trust in him. I trust in him, my fortress and my tower. My hope is set on God alone, though Satan spreads his snare. I trust in him. I trust in him to keep me in his care. Strong in the everlasting name and in my Father's care, I trust in him. I trust in him who hears and answers prayer. There's a story I read some time ago that helps us see what it means to trust God as the hymn writer there puts it. It's a story about how some years ago a ship captain commissioned a vessel and he went on a voyage with his family. One night as he slept a great wind came out of nowhere which threatened to sink the ship and everybody as you can imagine was in a state of distress. We've all seen these programmes on the telly of the ship and the storm and it's gone up and down. And you think, that's the last place in the world I want to be just now. But everybody on this ship was in a terrible state of distress, waiting by crashing waves and howling winds. However, the captain's daughter, who was only eight years old, when she awoke, she asked what the matter was. And when she was told about the storm, she simply asked the question, Is father on deck? Yes, she was told, father's on deck. To which the wee girl dropped back onto her pillow without fear and went to sleep again. I don't know if that wee lassie was a, a Christian, but she certainly got what Psalm 121 is trying to teach Christians. Father is on deck. God is in control. As the hymn writer says, strong in the everlasting name and in my Father's care, I trust in him. I trust in him who hears and answers prayer. With Father on deck, we needn't worry about whatever 2016 might bring us. I read earlier in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul puts it like this, if God is for us, who can be against us? <coughs> Psalm 121, I think, would answer, no one and nothing can be against the people of God because this God watches over you. He is your shade at your right hand. Even the sun by day will not harm you, nor the moon by night. Why does he say that? Because they are God's sun and moon. He made them. They are his servants under his control. And note in verse 7, God's care isn't in some things or in some areas. Rather, verse 7 says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. That's a big word, that all, isn't it? Just three letters, but the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Every aspect is covered. And in verse 8, at the end of the psalm, we are reminded every moment is covered. Because it closes by saying, the Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. This isn't just a temporary protection. It's now and forevermore. Friends, Psalm 121 wants us to see as believers that we are always watched and guarded by God. So when we get up in the morning or go to bed at night, he is there. When we go to work or when we come home again, he is there. When we come into the world at birth, even when we depart this world in death, the covenant creator God is there, promising to watch his people both now and forevermore. And this God assures us of his love and care for us. 
and the fact that he came down to be with us, leaving aside his majesty to experience and endure the threat of the hills for himself. These hills that make the psalmist worry. This God came down and entered into where the hills were. And he went to a, a particular hill called Calvary. The greatest evidence of God's care for us is, is that he who made the hills was willing to be crucified on a hill. What more does God need to say to us to show he loves us? He who made the house was willing to be crucified on a hill. Why did he do that? To prove to an ordinary group of people in Coat Bridge tonight. To prove that he is for us and not against us. To prove to an ordinary group of people in Coat Bridge that he really does love and care about us. These are wee moments where you would like to just come to to the front and I'd love to go around everybody individually and look them in the eye and to say God really does love and care for you he really does and I would love you to look me back in the eye because I need reminded of it as well but this is the God that the psalmist presents to us so the next time we ask the question and we will ask it again where does my help come from we can respond with confidence as we look to Jesus and his victory over the greatest enemy of the hills, which wasn't the robbers or wild animals, it was sin and death. But we look to his victory over the greatest enemy of the hills and with this psalmist, we can reply with the words, my help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Let me pray. Father, how blessed we are to have a God who has entered into covenant relationship with us. Almost like marriage relationship. That relationship between a father and child. To have a God who watches over every detail, every aspect of our lives. And Lord, how I pray that this truth that we've looked at in Psalm 121 has been impressed upon our hearts and minds. Lord, we are like the disciples many years ago who struggled with unbelief, who struggled to believe that you cared for them. We think about them in that ship when the storm arose and they asked you, don't you care that we're going to drown? Lord, that's us. That's the kind of thing we say to you. And yet we've been reminded in Psalm 121 and in other places in the Bible, oh Lord, that you not only care, but you've demonstrated this care by coming into the worst of storms, taking upon yourself our sin, tasting the death that we deserve. But Lord, we take great comfort and consolation in looking to the other half of that story, that you have broke the power of the house, the enemy, sin and death. You have been rose again and ascended to God's right hand and that you intercede for us even the night as we meet like this. Lord, please keep reminding us about this for 2016. And please keep reminding us about this until the Lord Jesus Christ returns for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to close by singing that hymn that I mentioned earlier, Safe in the Shadow of the Lord, Beneath His Hand and Power.
Now, I hope it's the same words. I've brought my own words in this. Sometimes online you get different words, so I maybe just actually come to the, this bit here so I, I don't sing different words from you. Safe in the shadow of the Lord beneath his hand and power. I trust in him, I trust in him, my fortress and my power. So let's stand to worship God and we close with this. Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and always. Amen.